You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and the interview subject that you're tuned in to listen to is Marcus Siepen from the German power metal Overlords. Has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Overlords. Blind Guardian. The reason for the conversation is to promote the 2017 live release, Live Beyond the Spheres. So let's have a listen to what Marcus has to say about it. Here we go. Releasing a three CD live album called Live Beyond the Spheres on July 7th via Nuclear Blast. Got to get that out, Nuclear Blast. Tell the audience about yes. it. <laughs> well, um, we've been on the road for almost two years, uh, the two of our previous album, which was called Beyond the Red Mirror. And we felt that the time is right to do another live album because um, the previous live album has been like what, 14 years ago, something like that. And um, so since the release of that previous live album, there have been three new studio albums. There has been a lineup change, so we never, ever released anything live with our new drummer, Frederick, who came into the band in 2004. And we just felt it was was the right time. So um, we recorded pretty much every single show on that tour. And... um, Yeah, so we had tons of material to choose from, and we tried to put together um, the typical kind of set list as it happened on that tour for the album, and we were lucky that we could get away with a three-CD package, so we could squeeze in all those songs. And, um, yeah, I think it it gives people a good overview of, of what has been happening for us during those two years and uh, the people that love the shows should really dig the album, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, very good point about that one there. So Blind Guardian have always produced engaging artwork as well and this new album is no different. How important is the visual aspect of the band? Um, I think it's very important because we try to deliver a complete package you know it's not if, if we put out a cd it's not only about the music i mean obviously the music is the main aspect about blind guardian but uh, uh the booklets the cover artworks uh, images within the booklets photos whatever all that plays a big role in my opinion because um after all i'm a collector myself you know i started collecting back then in yeah. the day it was vinyl but you know later on CDs, whatever, I still collect stuff. You know, when I when I like an album, I want to buy it, I want to have it in my collection. And I always prefer the, the, the real nice packages, you know, if it's, you know, uh, the bigger booklets or if there's bonus CDs or any stuff like that, you know. I think all that plays a role because, after all, people are paying for your product, hopefully. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's you know, right they, these days, yeah. They, we, we, we always try to give them value for money, you know, and that's that's not limited to the music. So, yeah, that, that visual aspect is, is pretty important, in my opinion. So you have been giving fans value for money now for a very long time. You've been producing high-quality heavy metal since your first album, correct me if I'm wrong, which, was, uh, which is, sorry, Battalions of Fear that was released in 1988. Can you believe that's almost 30 years ago? Do you... uh, it's it's amazing, yeah. It's yeah. quite some time ago. <laughs> I know time has gone so quickly. Even I can remember. I mean, I'm 39, but I can remember 1988. Maybe not as if it was yesterday, but it certainly doesn't feel 30 years ago. But you know, for for your good self, mate, did you think that you would spend your entire adult life performing and recording heavy metal? 
Um, I was let, let's put it like this. I was dreaming about this. I mean, this was our clear goal when we started the band. You know, uh, we were just a bunch of kids that that loved metal and that wanted to play in this band together, and we wanted to fulfill our dreams. And the big dream, obviously, was becoming a professional band, recording albums, being able to tour, and all that stuff. And um, obviously, there was never any guarantee that it would work because, I mean. There are no guarantees in this business, you know. But um, the funny thing is, we, we we never doubted it. You know, for us, we were convinced back from day one on that we would make it. For whatever reason, I don't know. But, you know, this mm. we were convinced there was never any plan B or anything because we, we didn't feel a need for plan B because our plan A was make it with Blind Guardian. And, you know, that was the way to go. And yeah, we, for sure. We put all the work and effort into it. You know, we were rehearsing every single day back then. And we were putting all the money that we earned with the first couple of albums. We put it in into into the band, you know, buying equipment, whether it was instruments or studio recording equipment, whatever. And we step by step built our own studio and all that stuff. But back then, obviously, we had no fucking clue that, you know, like 30 years later, now I would be sitting here talking to you about hmm. what we started so long ago. But... No, it's it's perfect. Our attitude never changed. You know, we're still willing to put all the effort, all the work into the band to take the next step, whatever that might be. Yeah. And um, I guess that's why we are still here. And and the most important reason is we still love what we're doing. You know, it's it's still a blast to be in that band. It's still awesome to be able to go on the road and play gigs for people anywhere on this planet. And you know, that's. It's a dream come true. I, it, it sounds like a cliche answer, but it is. No, because it's completely understandable. But my next question would be, um, I talk to a lot of musicians over the globe and I talk to a lot of musicians locally. Now, this statement usually comes from local musicians, so musicians in Australia. Um, mm -hmm. They find touring very difficult, being away from family, being not so much being away from Australia, but just the grind of being in a, in, in a, in a place that's very different from Australia for extreme lengths of time. How have you guys survived that aspect of it? You know, the waiting at the airports and missing buses for connecting fl flights and trips and travelling um, across Europe and the like. How has the band managed to stay more or less? I don't think I don't. I you guys. Have, I mean, you've already mentioned that you've had a uh, a change of drummer, but for the most part, your lineups remained intact for thirty years. Um. First of all, I have to confirm, yes, touring is or it can be very tiresome and being away from your families is is the hardest part of, of being in this business, obviously, because, I mean, it, as I mentioned before, our last tour lasted for 21 months. And, you know, it, it's not like you're leaving home in the morning and come back at night and, you know, yeah, have a regular working day. Yeah. So it's something completely different. What works for us is we um, we we separate between touring periods and writing periods. So once a tour for us is done, we normally don't play many gigs anymore until the next album is done. So we're we're kind of bouncing between extremes. Either we're on the road for two years, or after that we're two years at home working on new material, recording it, whatever. And when we tour. Um, we cut it 
we couple it's not that we are constantly on the road for 21 months we're doing it in little blocks so we'll this time the blocks were a little bigger you know we started we've been in in europe for three months non-stop yeah. but then we had like four or five weeks at home you know uh, regain energy you know spend some time with the families then we hit the usa for like another i don't remember seven weeks or something like that sure came back home again for a couple of weeks, then went to Australia and Japan, came back home for a couple of weeks. You know, we, we're, we're, we're trying to squeeze in some time at home in between those blocks. And that helps to keep you sane because, you know, if, if any one of us would be on a nightliner or on planes and hotels and all that stuff for, for two years in a row, we would go nuts. Because, I mean, there is uh, one thing you can immediately say goodbye to is privacy on tour because you know the, the privacy that you have on a nightliner is the curtain that you can close in front of your bed and that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So you know days, days off when you have a hotel are precious because then at least you know you have your room, you can close the door behind you. you know, and, and the funny thing is um, I love everybody in the band, in the crew, that's a whole family. You know, everybody is friends with each other. So th that also helps of course. But um, still, you know, after such a long time, you, you really enjoy just not seeing the same people day in, day out. So on a day off, when you can just shut the door behind you and just relax a bit on your own and call home or do whatever, you know, that, that helps. And obviously, technology helps as well. I mean, everybody has a cell phone in his pocket now and you can do video calls or whatever. Yeah, for and sure. there are yeah. That helps. I, I remember days, you know, when we've been touring in the in the 90s, you know, we had to line up in front of the production office and everybody was waiting to make a phone call from a yeah. phone there and everything mm -hmm. else behind when the line was bitching when you talked longer than five minutes. Whatever. <laughs> so things got easier, but still, yeah, touring is tiresome. And the most tiresome aspect about it is that waiting, you know, because, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're on tour, we're... You know, I'm working like two and a half hours at night and maybe I'll do some interviews during the day and the rest of the time I'm trying to kill. And, you know, that means you you be a tourist, you check out places or you just stay in the hotel and try to relax and sleep or do whatever. But most of the time you are waiting for something to happen. And that can become very tiresome, even though, you know, if you think about it, yeah, it's not not a problem to kill some time. You can read a book, you can walk around, you can watch a movie, you can do many things. But, you know, if you do it day in, day out, at some point you don't feel like doing it. Yeah, you want to do something different. Yeah. yeah, but still, on the other hand, I still love touring so much. You know, it's a it's a part of this, this job. And, you know, being on stage actually, to me, is the absolute highlight about being a musician. Yeah, it is. You sort of you will. There's no question. You live for those two and a half hours on stage each evening, don't you? Exactly. I mean, that's you know, this writing and creating music and building it up in the studio is awesome. But you know, this direct feedback that you get from the fans when you when you hit stage and start playing, nothing compares to that. So, I read that you're a gamer. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you are perfectly right. <laughs> so tell me about your interest in gaming then. Uh, it started as a kid, you know, when the first video game consoles came out in the early 80s, late 70s, whatever. My father brought some at home and I got addicted immediately, you know, and it, it never stopped. 
So uh, you know, I, I love playing on my on my PC at home. When we're on tour, I have all kinds of consoles with me. You know, PlayStation Vita, and I just bought the Nintendo Switch console, which is amazing and stuff like that. And just gaming is 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 a very nice way of killing time. You know, it has always been a hobby of mine to play nice games, and um, especially since there are things like laptops or those portable consoles, which started back with the old Game Boy in, in yeah, of course, in, like, I remember Boy in yeah. ninety or ninety or something like that. So you know that's 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 very handy to have something like this on the road. And you know the typical thing is you know Andre and Frederick are also into video games a lot. And you know sometimes we sit in the nightliner and we we connect our consoles and do battles of of <laughs> Mario Kart or Bomberman or whatever. You know those good old fun games. Yes, yeah, I do that at home it's, with my wife and kids. Yeah. Yeah. See, so you know what I'm talking about. You know, yeah. it, it's just fun. It's 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 a very nice way of killing time. Who wins the Mario Kart games between you guys? Ah, uh, most of the times, Frederick. He he's a bit better than me, I would say. He's a sharp. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm practicing now, so next time I'll kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so, just asking a, another question about your music and your involvement with music. You were a member of Sinbreed. Do you think you'd yes. ever return to the band? I don't think so because um, for the reason it didn't work now, I think that reason would not change. You know, I loved being in the band. I loved the guys. It was so much fun. You know, I loved the album that we made together. But the problem is um, any side project, whatever it might be for me, can only work if I can focus on the side project in times when Blind Guardian is not active. Yep. Because once Blind Guardian becomes active, there is no room for anything else. Then 100% of my focus is on Blind Guardian. And we had that meeting within Sinbreed by the end of 2014, where we talked about how we would continue. And um, the guys wanted to start working on new songs and record them and whatever in 2015. And, you know, that meeting happened exactly like four weeks before we put out Beyond the Red Mirror. And I was like, guys, this is not going to work for me because, you know, yeah. in, two, in, in four weeks, without a Blind Guardian album, then uh, the promo machinery will be there and then we'll be on the road for two years. There is no room for me to work or focus in any way on Sinbreed. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I, I can't demand from them that they sit around wait for me to be done with whatever after two years. So I fully understand that they wanted to continue, but that just made me draw a line there and say, okay, then, you know, I wish you all the best. And that really comes from my heart. I wish them all the best, but I, I stepped back from the band because it, it would not be doable for me. And in the end, you know, they recorded another yeah. album. They played a tour, but also Frederick, who obviously still is in Sinbreed, could not take part in the tour because he was on tour with us. And that's not what I wanted for myself. You know, everybody has to obviously find his own way of dealing with things. For me, that would not have been an option. Either if I'm in Sinbreed as well, then I want to be able to focus on Sinbreed whenever they are active. And when that is not possible, I step back. Yeah, fair enough. And That's why I don't really see me returning to the band because the problem would stay the same, I guess, you know. Yeah. And as I said, I'm, I'm not blaming them or anything. You know, I can fully understand that they don't want to wait two years before they could do anything again. But that's why I just left the band at that point. 
That makes sense. And my next question um, might might actually offer a solution because in in so far as you are a, a revered guitarist, people do enjoy listening to you play. And you recently oh. collaborated. <laughs> no, I can assure you they do. Yeah, no question about that. So. You recently collaborated, and I hope I say the band's name correctly here, Metacross, on the track How Can I Know How I Am. Now, yes. how did that collaboration come about? Because that was this is a very interesting collaboration. Now, correct me if I'm wrong again, this was the first track that I've ever heard you play or perform on where the vocalist used a death metal style vocal. Um, that's correct. And uh, the collaboration, I mean... Uh, those guys are friends of mine since years. You know, my wife is from Brazil and those guys right. are from the city where she's from. So I know them since ages. And, okay. you know, at some point when they were working on that CD, um, they asked me if I would be interested in, you know, doing a lead or a solo or anything on one of their songs. And I immediately said yes, because, you know, I like such things. You know, if the time is there and, you know, I like the music, why not? And I really, I'm really digging their stuff. I think they're a very original band. And, you know, Vinicius, the singer, he, he sent me uh, a track and I just recorded my stuff in here. They said, you can do whatever you want to do, play whatever you want to play, wherever you want to play. And, you know, I recorded a couple of things here, sent them back to them and they loved it. And that's how that collaboration came together. And the funny thing is, or the nice thing is, they even got to open up for us when we played in Recife on, yeah, on the last right. So <clears throat> that was, it, it was a lot of fun. And as I said, I love the band. I love the music. I love the guys. So it was obvious for me to say yes. Yeah, well, I'm a big fan of when artists and musicians do guest spots. Um, you know, probably Max Cavalera may take it too far on some of his albums where it's, every song has got a guest spot. But... Um, Occasionally, when you hear someone bringing in a new, uh, I was listening to. Uh, I'll give you an example. I was listening to the Body Count album last night, and the first song has got Dave Mustaine offering a lyrical narrative, and then I think one of his solos are on it, and I really think it adds a lot to the album. Cool. I, I didn't hear that album yet. I still have to check it out. But yeah, I agree. You know, sometimes those things, you know, those little co collaborations can really add something. You spice things up, you know, it's, I also like those things. It's, it's very interesting to hear how some musicians um, sound, behave, whatever you want to call it within, you know, a different environment. So if you, if you come to the, as, as you said, you know, Metacross is doing death metal, which I always loved, but I never played myself, you know, and it, it's just interesting to see if your approach to playing something changes when, when everything else is different than what you're used to be, you know? Yeah, actually, it's, it's, it's a really good it's, point because I had a discussion with, you know, Ralph Santola, who's played in Deicide and Obituary, Iced Earth and a bunch uh -huh. of other bands. Um, I had a really good chat with Ralph this morning and he said he said something which at first um, well, I thought was really surprising because he said he wasn't even into death metal when he first, or worse the effect of he wasn't into death metal when he first, or he didn't, he had never played in a death metal band prior to joining Deicide, but if you listen to his solos right the way through The Stench of Redemption, they're probably the best guitar solos on any death metal album ever in my view. So... Mm -hmm. It's always interesting when some people come into a musical situation with some different ideas and how it enhances the project. And I suggest that your contribution has done the same thing for Metacross. 
I hope so. You know, I try to. I, I was listening for the. I was listening to the song several times, trying to find the right spot. And you know, I was sitting here with my guitar in my hand, just fiddling along and see, you know, where something would click for me, where I would find that spot where I say, okay, that's that's my spot. I'll play here and you know, see what comes out of me. And it is very interesting because you know, yeah. You know, same with Ralph. He, you said he never played death metal before. He joined uh, B-side or whatever. And, yeah, it still works, yeah. you know. And I like such things. I really like such things. Yep, yep. Likewise. And, and um, look, I have done a bit of research about you because, um, you know, I tend to do that whenever I uh, look forward to these interviews. And I read the oddest <laughs> and funniest things about... <laughs> Sorry, you're right. <laughs> I said I appreciate this because you prepare yourself. That's good. I like yeah. It. Well, I'll just t I'll just share with you a story quickly. Um, about three weeks ago, up until three weeks ago, I have been a telecommunications account executive. Now, okay. it was a pretty well-paying job, if I don't mind saying so. Um, I don't have a source of income at the moment, except for where what this turns into, and um, I feel as though if I keep on approaching it the same way, in terms of my methodology of researching and making sure that I'm engaging these sorts of things when I do these interviews, then I can potentially make a career out of it. So, <laughs> yeah, hey, right, right attitude, in my opinion, you know, go for it. Uh, yeah, I know. It's my passion. I've always, I've sort of got to the point where I realize bands aren't ever going to happen except for playing in local cover bands and the like. And, um, and I thought, well, how about I give this a go and things have just fallen into place. And of course, now I find myself talking to a fantastic guitarist from Germany um, speaking to Ralph Santola this morning, I'm not sure that it gets much better than this. Hey, that's a great way of starting things, at least, you know. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> that's it. And so what I was saying was, when I do my research, I read the oddest and the funniest things about interview subjects uh, on Wikipedia. Now, according to your entry on the page, in September 2004, you broke your leg in four places while skateboarding. Um, and following, I don't even know how they'd know this, right? But following the incident, you made a pact with yourself never to skate again, and you sold your skateboard on eBay. How true is that? That is 100. No, no, that's 99% true. I broke my leg in five places. That's, right. that's the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, you know, uh, but uh, the funny thing is how, how this got completely blown out of proportion because people then were saying that, yeah, I'm a skater. And, you know, I, I even read that I warm up with a skateboard before <laughs> shows. I don't really see how you can warm up your hands and fingers yes. for playing guitar with a skateboard. But, you know, nothing of this is true. The, the whole thing is my son had a skateboard back then. And, uh, you know, we were just out on the street, you know, sharing it, having a bit of fun. And I've never skated on a skateboard before in my life. I've, yeah. I've, I had rollerblades and I can't do this. I'm, I'm skiing since I was three years old, whatever, you know, all that is perfectly fine. But I never rode a skateboard before. And we did it one day and had fun. It was cool. And the other day, actually, actually the day when it happened, we've been in town and uh, we've been at some kind of shop and, they had skateboards hanging on the wall. And my son suggested, hey, why don't you buy one for yourself so we can ride at the same time? And I was like, yeah, cool, let's do it. And I bought that fucking skateboard. And we went home again, went out and rode that thing. For about two hours, everything was fine. And then I fell. And that was my two-hour lasting 
skateboarding career. And yeah, <laughs> I, I never ever touched a skateboard since that day. And I, I can promise you I never will because that really hurt. <laughs> oh, well, it's so the entry in Wikipedia is basically precisely correct, except for the breaking your leg in five places rather than the four that it's got listed. There you go. Okay. Occasionally yes. it does tell the truth. <laughs> yes, sometimes it does. <laughs> All right. So for... Each of my interview subjects, I have three questions that I ask. So I'd love it if you could humor me here and play along. And your answers can be as not safe for work as you like because we are an R-rated program. Okay? <laughs> so, okay. So here we go. <laughs> Choose three words to describe yourself. <gasps> um, three words. Um, loyal, focused, and... Uh, very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, there you go. Second question is, if you could go back to when you were 18 and give yourself some advice, what do you think you'd say? Go for it. Clearly go for it. Because back at that time, you know, uh, that was the time when we started the band and when, you know, we wanted to go for the professional thing. And looking back... At the, at the last 30 years, it was the right decision. So, yeah, I would go back in time and say, yes, you're doing the right thing. Go for it. Excellent. Okay. Sounds like you've done that too, by the way. So, yeah, you've lived it. Yes. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> All right. Final question. What five guests, living or dead, would you invite to dinner? Ah, uh, dinner. I should focus on people that can cook. But uh, since I have no idea who's a good cook, I would <laughs> pick people. Plan. Yeah, yeah I, I think so too. You know, just, just some excellent chefs and ask them to prepare some some nice food. You know, I would I would invite. Um, who would I invite? Uh, sticking to to the music scene, I would invite some people that that. Uh, played a big role for me over all those years and made me uh, be who I am today. You know, I would invite sure. Tony Iommi because nice. he's always been one of my main influences when it when it comes to guitar playing. Uh, I would invite. Uh, I think that's a good way to go. I would definitely invite David Gilmore and Mark Knopfler because they mm. took everything to the next step. Yes. Then I would invite Ronnie James Dio. Mm -hmm. for being who he was, and I would invite my wife, and then we're good to go. Very then thoughtful. Somebody yeah. Cook. yeah, then somebody has to cook, or we just go out to some restaurant and have a nice evening. Well, I've never thought to place that caveat in it, that someone has to cook, but I might do that from now on, actually. You know, you've got to choose somebody to, <laughs> to cook or something, so you better make sure that they can play, they can cook as well as they can play guitar or something. It, it might help in the dinner, at least. <laughs> Well, we're almost out of time, I think, but I want to ask you one more question. Sorry, one, one question that I probably should have asked earlier, but just just a quick one about your relationship with the fans and audience audiences in Australia. Uh, it's amazing. You know, I'm, uh, the fans are, are a vital part of any Blind Guardian show because, you know, no matter what we do on stage, uh, the fans have to be there as well. They have to do the singing and, you know, everything. This, this feedback of energy between fans and band is what makes the show special. It's not just a band playing well, you know, the fans have to play their part as well. 
And the crowds in Australia are amazing. You know, we always love coming there. We always love coming back. And uh, over the last couple of times, we always have also been very lucky because we had some days off and we could explore uh, Sydney and Melbourne. And we loved it. You know, it was when we first had the chance to come to Austria, which happened rather late in our career. I think the first time we came was 2006, I think. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. We've been waiting for that for quite some while because it has been a dream. You know, literally Australia is the other side of the planet for us, you know, yes. and going there, you know, the traveling, I have to say, sucks because, you know, I remember one time when we flew back from, I think it was from Sydney back to Dusseldorf, the trip from the moment I left my hotel in Sydney to the moment I put the key in my door here at home was 39 hours. Yeah, it's a long bloody time, isn't it? Yeah. Fucking sucks, but you know it's worth it. It's always worth it, and meeting the people there, the fans, and you know being able to talk to those guys after their geek or when you run into them during the day when you go sightseeing or whatever, it's priceless. It's it's a part of what makes touring very very special and dear to me. Fantastic. Well, on that note, I'll wrap things up. You've been a pleasure. You've been an outstanding interview subject. I do really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat to you. Um, it was me as well. No, thanks, mate, and, and, and I look forward to seeing you guys down here in Australia. I'll certainly be in the audience when you tour. Hey, make sure you come by and say hello. I will, for, for sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so have a nice evening for you. My day is still starting, and, yeah, talk to you whenever we hit back to Australia. Absolutely, mate. All the best, and thanks very much, eh? Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Hope you've enjoyed it. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and that interview subject was Marcus Siepen from the German power metal outfit Blind Guardian. Thank you so much for listening.